Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Mike Hart. Mike is a senior vice president and the national director of data management and technology operations at JLL. JLL is a property consultancy company with over $6 billion in revenue specializing in property services and investment management. They've also been named one of the most ethical companies by Ethisphere Institute for over 10 consecutive years. Thanks for being here, Mike. Happy to be here. So I'm excited to have you here. We've uh, it's it's rare that we have a guest on that I've known for over 20 years. So uh, I want to thank you for the time. For the people that aren't familiar with your background, can you give a little bit of an overview around your career journey? Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> no, uh, all jokes aside, uh, professional career uh, right out of college was an econ major. Um, so in 2003, was out there looking for a job and got a role doing financial planning at Northwestern Mutual. Um, and if any of you have ever done financial planning, you're literally a 22-year-old snot-nosed kid calling on people, you know, our parents' age or a little younger saying, you know, roll over your $4 million 401k to, to some kid that's just straight out of school. So let's right. just say that uh, it, it was not the easiest job in the world and I lasted nine months. But, you know, truth be told, it it was probably one of the most valuable career experiences I had in my life because you are learning how to sell. You made probably 200 cold calls a day and wow. you would get 10 people to pick up the phone and you'd get eight that didn't hang up. And of those eight, you maybe got one meeting. So you really had to figure out how you could quickly articulate to them the value that you're going to bring and, you know, in turn, uh, try to get set up that meeting. So truly valuable. Uh, after that, I started off with a company called Hanley Wood, where we tracked the residential housing market. So I uh, started off as a, I believe it was called research analyst or data analyst at the time, where we were uh, shopping different subdivisions within the Chicagoland area. And when I say shopping, what we would do is actually pose as buyers and go into the sales centers of these subdivisions and say, how many homes have you sold so far? I'm interested in purchasing one. How many homes are available? What's your inventory levels? So on and so forth. So uh, one, it got me to understand just the importance of data quality, the timeliness of data, the the accuracy and the power that brings. And then we would sell that information to large publicly traded home builders, Toll Brothers, Lennars, DR Hortons of the world, so that they could make better financial decisions. And uh, was at Hanleywood for about eight years, pivoted you know, throughout my journey there of being the one that was out there in the field collecting the information to the point of saying, how do we get this information more efficiently into the systems and how do we actually design the UI UXs of these systems uh, to be more efficient both you know, in the field and also in the office. Um, so th- there are about eight years and then coming up on my eight year anniversary with JLL nice. um, where first started off as, uh, I think it was Client Intelligence Director, which not quite sure what that title means, but <laughs> at that point was doing a lot of work uh, looking at our own internal data. So looking at the systems, specifically our property databases, uh, some of our accounting databases where we track the revenue with different companies and tried to expose opportunities in the system. As you mentioned, JLL is a full-service real estate company where we do everything from you know put tenants in space, manage properties, lease properties, sell properties, finance properties, 
properties and started looking at the data that we have in those existing systems to figure out where there's opportunities to uh, add more value to existing clients and build those relationships. So instead of going out in the marketplace and finding organically new companies to do business with, how can we go and find opportunities with the existing client base we have? Um, Progress through that and then uh, over time started moving into a role that focused really on the property systems within JLL. So everything that JLL does is around a property and a company. So uh, started working under the research group, which straddles the line between research data and IT, to pull together a massive U.S. property database, transactional database, um, company database that then we use as uh, the fuel for many of our point-of-sale tools within JLL. So uh, really a neat role. Uh, enjoy quite a bit. Also deal with, uh, manage the GIS and BI teams for the Americas groups. And what's interesting about, I guess, your career journey is that there's one major common thread, and that's data. 100%. Um, It's the fuel for pretty much any downstream tool you build. And how has that changed over the the past decade since you've got involved in in your early uh, role, especially in the previous career, and then transition now? I think the biggest change is how you collect and analyze, not really analyze, but really how you collect that information. So previous job at Hanley Wood, as well as kind of beginning role within JLL, we had to go hand curate all the information out there in the marketplace. And I'd say probably over the last three years, specific to commercial real estate, there has been just a a, a ballooning of technology companies playing in this space that are out there aggregating the information, whether it's through uh, normal business process tools um, and aggregating that and then reselling the information, or if it's just through technologies, uh, straight, uh, scraping websites and picking up that information. But now it's at a point where we have to figure out how we just aggregate all of the different data providers opposed to figuring out how we organically collect everything ourselves. Absolutely. And it's interesting because early on in your career, you kind of transitioned between a sales role and then a data role. What attracted you to that? that you're always uh, selling at them. There's a, <laughs> no matter what you do, there's always a, a sales role. I mean, you're always selling the tools you build, the products you, you build. Um, I mean, that in my role, that's a lot of what, what I do now is go out there and promote internally as well as externally the tools that, that my team builds. So I'm, I'm curious. You've had this this career journey, and to, to be a, a senior vice president um, at one of the largest commercial real estate companies is impressive. If you had to give advice to your younger self um, uh, in terms of any career advice uh, back to your 22-year-old self, what would you say? I think the 22-year-old self, and I still tell this to some you know analysts, some of the more junior folks on my team, is that the, the quickest way at that point, Tableau didn't exist. Some of the BI tools didn't exist at that point. But when I first started, the quickest way out of that analyst role was to just become an expert at Excel, right? I mean, we've probably all seen that person in the office. It's that go-to person that can run the macros, build everything. And next thing you know, because of your expertise in that one system, you're doing the work of five people. And then next thing you know, you get promoted up, and now you get five people that you can teach and do that, and it turns into the work of 25 people. Um, so originally, I'd say become that expert at Tableau. I think at this point, it, it's figuring out how to foster the relationships between the different groups. So an organization like JLL, where it's 90,000 employees, 
my advice to people that are coming up the chain, maybe made it past that analyst level, now to manager level, is really understand kind of that that tribal culture within the company because you can't do anything on your own. Me, for example, I sit within the research team, but I can't build anything without the help and partnership of our IT group. I can't also build anything without the help and partnership of our uh, our data quality group and our data teams. So my advice would be climb the ranks, and then once you get to that role, foster those relationships. Don't always just do head-down work, but you know, get up, walk the floor, understand, Adam, what you're doing, Jason, what you're doing down the road, um, and make those, make those connections and see where that overlap is. It'll, it'll pay dividends. So it's interesting. You um, spent part of your career at JLL working with startups, specifically CRE tech startups. Um, what was kind of the, the, the onus for choosing a startup? And talk to me a little bit about the philosophy and strategy you had behind that. So it, about four years ago, we went through this journey with an outside consultant at JLL, and we said we were in the mindset of going and building everything. We're a huge, you know, second largest commercial real estate company in the world, and and we just said, let's build, build, build everything. And about four years ago, there was this, as I said, groundswell of different prop tech companies out there. And we've now had this philosophy of build, buy, which means subscribe to or, or outright acquire, uh, integrate, and improve. So we began tracking the overall CRE prop tech space because we needed to figure out where there's a company filling a gap or filling a need that we already had. And chances are they may be doing it better than us. They're also getting all the feedback from our competitors and building tools uh, more quickly than we could. So we're now figuring out where we can integrate that into our technology stack. Um, and then we build internally where there's that gap or where that integration piece has to has to come across those different products. And speaking of prop tech, what are some of the te- technologies that you think are going to have the greatest impact on uh, the real estate industry in, in really the near future? Yeah, I mean, there, there's qu- quite a few. Um, a lot right now that we're seeing are around the client experience. So uh, just the concierge feel that um, you get when you enter a space. You know, no longer is it the days of walking into an office where you go up to reception desk and say, hey, I'm Mike Hart, I'm here to check into the building and, you know, have a seat. But it's now this this overall experience, not just for the guests, but also the employees of that space truly feeling uh almost like you're in a in a hotel lobby of sorts um so the client experience space is is huge also a lot around ar and vr um so the way that properties are being marketed and the way that people interact with that space even before the first time they've seen it a lot of what we're doing in a lot of the companies we're uh, looking at is how can you shorten that sales cycle? How can you make things more efficient? And that efficiency comes from not flying people in from across the country to do a tour at one location. But if we can use some of our GIS tools or some of the VR um, and AR technologies to have them have that immersive experience remotely and narrow down uh, the number of options they have before bringing them into a centralized location to actually walk the space, um, that's big as well. Other things are just technologies and tools that are part of just the overall business process. So what I mean by that is that, you know, previously when you asked a question, Adam, what's changed about how we collect the data? And previously it was all about collection. Now it's what do we do with all the data that's out there? A lot of the technologies out there are now part of the end-to-end A-to-Z business process 
and don't make data entry secondary to that. So what I mean by that is before, you know, these CRM systems, you'd call on a prospect or client and then have to later go in and record that you made that phone call. Now a lot of the prop tech that we're seeing are these technology systems that allow me directly from my iPhone or desk phone to make that phone call to a prospect or client, and it automatically records that through the iOS app or through some of the desktop apps. Again, just making that data collection process more efficient. Gotcha. And I think that's that's such an important point because it that streamline it, streamlining that data process it helps companies create so much more efficiency, and I think that's one of the biggest biggest benefits of it. But data is often a big challenge for a company to kind of tackle. What would you say is the greatest challenge in implementing new technology solutions, either that involve data, don't involve data, but kind of hover around technology? Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean. That's probably the most common question I get from the startups that we talk to is how do you drive adoption at a company like JLL that's so massive? Um, So I think there's two ways to answer that. One is that it has to be bottom-up and top-down. So you have to get the C-suite decision-makers to understand the value of your product and get those demos. Um, But two, those C-suite decision-makers also have to hear from, uh, you know, the the ground troops, the boots on the ground, to hear that there's value in this application. Um, So one, I would say, to get those tools and technologies adopted is bottom-up and top-down. In addition to that, too, you, you have to really understand the company that you're speaking with and talking to and understand where there's existing gaps and needs. Because a lot of times I, I sit through so many different technology demos and a lot of times they just come in talking about their product but don't understand our business and where that may fit in and truly add value. So let's double click into that because oftentimes we talk about the coolest technologies. What are some of the oversaturated kind of technologies that you're just almost sick of hearing? <laughs> that's a that's a loaded question. Uh <laughs> It, a lot of it, so one, listings, right? So so how do we get the supply onto the overall market? Um, there's no, you know, there's no industry MLS like there is in residential real estate. Um, and right now there are just so many what I would call listing companies. So direct to, uh, direct to consumer listing companies are where space is available. Um, so it makes things tough, right? Because it, our, our fiduciary duties to the landlord to market their property um, on every site out there. But at the same time, there's literally hundreds of listing sites out there. So it makes things tough. So there's an oversaturation there. Um, a, another space is just kind of, we call it sensor technology. So so what is the uh, use of that that space? Sensors on chairs and in the, in the ceilings and lights. So there's this oversaturation, but nobody knows quite what to do and how to analyze that data. So the sensor technology is tracking so much of it, but we're not making enough informed decisions from that data and don't have enough tools to analyze it, kind of going back to that, so what, right? Like, so what? We have all this information now. What do we do with it? Right. So data-rich, insight-poor, essentially. You're well said. Well said. So I think one of the things that I'm curious about, um, have you seen anything related to distributed ledger technology applied to the listings? Is this like the the Bitcoin when you say distributed (laughs) ledger? Yes. And blockchain? Yeah, something where, where you have... I mean, because the, the listings, there's no one central repository for listings. I mean, listings just kind of exist, right? Um, so it's kind of muddy water, so to speak, with related to all that data. 
there's no one central kind of place where it exists where it can be distributed and branched off. I'm wondering if that could be applied to it. I, I'm always curious about that. I mean, we, again, when I heard distributed ledger, I think of blockchain yeah. and, and all of that. And I would say probably 18 months ago, I couldn't be talking in front of a client or even talking internally with in front of a group without somebody bringing that up. That was the hot to trot topic. Um, it's such a it's so decentralized what happens in commercial real estate. I mean, it's it's not as bad as residential. Well, maybe it's worse than residential because they have the MLS where everything goes through. But for commercial real estate, I mean, there are literally hundreds of different owners within just downtown Chicago. Right. And how can you convince all of them to get all of their space on on one singular platform because everybody has an opinion. Yep. And then when you go up the top to those largest owners and landlords, um, these institutional owners, I mean, then there's even more of an opinion. Um, and a lot of them want to own that, that content and data. Yeah. So I, I don't see it unfortunately happening anytime soon, but I mean, that's what many of these property technology companies are going after is that single source record of what is the over overall rentable supply within the market. Yeah, I think that that's one of the biggest um, challenges with the blockchain space. It's it's great applying it to new data sets, but retrofitting it to existing uh, data is is a huge challenge, right? Because everything is already out there. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about innovation specifically at JLL. You manage a, a large team. How do you think about innovation in, in, in ensuring that you develop a, a culture of innovation within your your team? Yeah, I I get this question a lot, a little differently. Is like, what do you love about JLL? What do you love about your job? And again, we're a ninety thousand person company. Yet, I would say we have one of the most entrepreneurial cultures that I've ever been a part of. And what I mean by that is that innovation can spring up by anybody on my team, anybody on my colleagues' teams. It, it if there is somebody that has an idea. Um, and can articulate it well and articulate the value with that. We have a company culture that says, let's not just investigate that. Let's actually put together a little bit of a proof of concept. Let's build something agilely and say, you know, does this add value and, and start building some consensus behind it? Um, so one, you know, JLL has that. We're also seeing a lot of that with these other, you know, you mentioned PropTech a, a few times, Adam, is coming to us and saying, hey, where can we partner? You know, where is their pain point in the overall business process? You know what we do, but, you know, is there a place where we can come together where, you know, one plus one equals three um, and and truly partner? And how was that process? You mentioned kind of two intakes. There's internal innovation that happens, and then there's also kind of partnership, potential partnerships. So to hit on the first subject, how do, how do you think through ideas on the proof of concept side? Do they get vetted internally and then by a committee and then the top winners get um, get to pursue their idea? How does that work? Yeah, so we actually have a – it's an internal uh, – it's an annual process. It's called the Da Vinci Award. Um, so obviously after Leonardo Da Vinci given his, his uh, take on innovation. So every year you get to submit these different – products, ideas. It doesn't even have to be built. It could literally be a, a concept in, in many times. And what you're doing is essentially, it's kind of like a pitch date, right? You're, you're coming together in front of the large group of C-suite executives and saying, you know, here's the idea, here's the value it's going to bring to the firm. And 
what you're vying for is, you know, a financial check to be written to say that, Mike, we're taking this past just the proof of concept phase, but, you know, we're going to seed you some internal money to explore this more um, and push it forward. And of course, it's, it's, there's more details of that. It's not quite that simple where it does go through a vetting process because there's hundreds of submissions with a company our size. And a lot of these also, Adam, don't just come from the internal JLO folks, but it comes from the JLL teams that are at the client sites. So we do so much corporate solutions or corporate occupier business where a lot of these are bubbling up and our JLL employees are seeing an inefficiency in the overall process and saying, hey, how can I solve this? I may not have the capital um, to build something, but the DaVinci program within JLL allows for that voice to at least be heard um, and gives them that stage to say, this is why you should choose my idea. This is why it's going to have the biggest impact, not just on JLL, but everything we do at the end of the day is for our clients. Fantastic. And are there any notable winners of that award that you uh, you can mention? Some of the notable. So one of the notable winners is is a project that uh, sits with under my team. It's called uh, the Blackbird application. So um, not not the most descriptive uh, name for the product, but it's our point of sale tool that is all GIS based and it feeds in our property data, our availability data, and then our transaction-related data. And we use it often at the point of sale to educate a prospect or existing client on the overall market um, using a Google Earth-type application with all of our data feeding through it. So it, again, to that point of shortening the sales cycle that we talked about earlier, this allows us to do a remote presentation of people that could be across the country, educating them on, say, the east loop of chicago showing them where space is available visually showing them actually within the buildings floor by floor uh the spaces that are available educating them on the market conditions who signed the most recent leases in those buildings and doing it really in a way that's dynamic uh you know before the blackbird application all this was done on powerpoint presentations Mm -hmm. and i feel like that always meant that our transaction professionals were going in there with an agenda talking to the client rather than an application like Blackbird where it allows for more of a conversation. Because, Adam, if you said, you know what, we were interested in the East Loop last week, but, you know, I just talked to Jason and he saw, you know, the Merchandise Mart is a building that we should maybe consider. This allows that conversation to happen. And I don't have to say, wow, I don't have a slide in my PowerPoint deck on that. I'm going to have to get back to you. We just... We literally take the 3D mouse, fly over to the merchandise mart from the East Loop, and then we can have that conversation with you. Um, so it's changed the way that we transact business and also the way that we've educated our clients on the overall market. It's a real differentiator. Love that. Absolutely. So you mentioned proof of concept. So the stage before the, the even award submission, is there a process that, that you subscribe to when it comes to kind of building out those proof of concepts even before they get submitted to, for the DaVinci Awards? For... For DaVinci Awards, again, it could just be a a concept that somebody has. No capital has been put behind it. Um, But in terms of some of the the proofs of concept for tools that are – exist, you have to put together, you know, a charter process to get the funding for what I would call is different like uh, bolt-on modules, right? So – in technology, you guys know it better than I. No tool is ever, you know, fully built, right? It's constantly evolving. Um, so tools like that, just like any organization of our size, you have to get funding for to, to continue to do that build out. Good stuff. So I'm curious, 
what you're most excited about in the next three to five years when it comes to innovation at JLL and, and maybe CRE as a whole? Yeah. I think one, the amount of data that we now have is going to allow us to spin up new technologies and applications far quicker than before. You know, it, we've spun on its head before. It would take 80% of our time was uh, figuring out where the data is going to come from and 20% of the time trying to build a tool that visualizes it or, or analyzes it. Now we'll really flip that on the head where the data already exists somewhere. We either subscribe to it or collect it internally through our normal business process. Um, so 20% of the time is figuring out how we pull the data from that system. And now 80% of the time is how we analyze it and visualize it. So what what really excites me the most is now taking some of our core tools and really building truly end-to-end solutions. Like when I say end-to-end, seamless integrations between the time that I have that first meeting or conversation with a client to understanding their needs, to going out there and touring the market, narrowing it down to spaces that they're actually interested in, creating a fully digital tour book experience, um, and then building portals that allow us to interact with the client in one portal application rather than literally hundreds of emails back and forth as we negotiate lease terms and contracts. Um, so really what excites me, again, is that having the data now at our fingertips and now taking many of the tools that we've already built upon and verticals on and integrating them in a seamless way where you, the client, when you interact with JLL, from A to Z, it seems like you're in the same application the entire time. Absolutely. You said you've been traveling a, a lot lately. I'm curious um, where your, your travels have, have taken you and in, in, in any new um, um, lessons that you've learned um, through those travels, whether it's inspiration through um, a startup that you've seen or a, a, a business colleague that you've interacted with. Yeah, lately a lot of a lot of travel to say the least. Um, no travel for for me at a company like JLL. I mean, we we play in the NFL cities, the MLB cities. Um, so you know the major you know the major thirty cities across the U.S. And the nice thing is, I'm normally going to D.C., New York, you know, San Francisco, Boston, um, which is nice because I I don't know if I'd feel the same way if I was going to some of the smaller Midwest cities. Um, it's not a knock against them. It's just nice to go to to top 10 cities. Um, no, I, I, again, I, I think the biggest learnings that I would have just with those travel and interaction with folks kind of goes back to my recommendation to a younger me in my career is that it, no matter if you travel often or if you don't travel all that, that often is go to that meeting in city, like with a purpose, but still find time to talk with other folks out there. Like I can't tell you how many times I, I go to a city for a meeting that I don't have to talk to, say, the research team or um, don't have to talk to the data team, but I end up making sure that I get some face time with the business. I make sure that I get some face time with marketing just so, again, so I can understand what they're working on, knowing that a week later, two weeks later, maybe two months later, I hear something that came up that said, wow, I was talking to Adam in New York. He's sitting in the marketing group. Does he even know that this project's going on? And then I can just shoot a quick note over and Again, it's connecting those those dots. There's so much value in in people that have that ability to do it. Um, so I'd say, yeah, one, if you got to travel, go to the big cities, and then two, uh, when you're there, make sure it's not just for the meeting that 
you may have intended to go to, but get some face time with the other folks uh, in that office or market so that you can understand what makes them tick, what their pain points are, and see if there's a way that you can help them out, not just now, but if you can help them out by connecting the dots in the future. So last question, the most important question of the day, what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? This is going to sound cheesy, but I'd say ESPN. I mean, just I, I know that sounds very cliche, but just most people would say Uber or you know whatever it may be. But I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not you know I look at Twitter, but I don't ever tweet. But I'd say just ESPN. I take the Metro in every day, and all I'm doing is just reading the articles about what's happening to the White Sox. Um, I know that may sound odd. I did say I'm coming up from. The Metro in Evanston, I'm a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan, so I get a lot of criticism for that. But, no, I mean, ESPN, it's my way of kind of just sitting back and uh, yeah, relaxing and seeing what's going on. I wish I would have known that before the interview. Things might have changed a bit. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. So We won't hold it against you. All right. Well, thank you for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's always great seeing you, and uh, thank you for your insights. No, happy to do it, Adam. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.